The podcast you're listening to is part of Sequelcast 2 and Friends, which is a member of the Batman on Film Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. What? An external hyperdrive control? Of course I knew it was there. I was about to suggest trying it myself. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Trouble Again, the podcast where we look back, explore, celebrate, and deconstruct every episode of Droids, the further adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO, a delightful Star Wars oddity and obscurity from the early 1980s. Uh, I am your host, William A.T.S.T. Thrasher, and with me as always is Matthew Bradley Shergi. How you doing, Matt? Oh, good. You know, this episode we're talking about, Race to the Finish, uh, wraps up the first of... Uh Four story arcs of the series. And this yes. one feels the most Star Warsy to date. I, I was going to say the exact same thing. This feels the most like Star Wars in many, many ways. But it's not. It's nice to see. It's nice to see a story arc wrap up, which with a definite ending, which I'm sure really did come as a surprise uh, to a lot to a lot of viewers. In a lot of ways, this episode could feel like the end of the series, but we're barely getting started. And I think in a way that might have contributed to the show's lack of success. Because at the time, almost every uh, animated show on American TV was, you know, the same group of characters. Nothing ever really happened to them. They were all one-shots, except for maybe the occasional two-parter here and there. Yeah, but in, in this film, when it or in this series, when it comes down to it, R two D two and C three PO are the only consistent characters. Uh, other characters will come in, uh, will enter and leave, and then not enter again. Yes, it uh, reinforces their role as the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the Star Wars series, which I, I rather, which I, I rather like. That is something that I do like yeah, about mm-hmm. the series. Uh, but this episode picks up where the last episode, the Trigon Unleashed, uh, a little bit after that episode left off. So you know, all of our our, our heroes, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, all of our heroes, uh, they have uh, they're now finally, finally, finally heading to that race that they wanted to enter the White Witch in in Episode One. This series, episode one, not the episode one of the Star Wars series in general, just to make sure that there is no confusion. Smiling Stan. Uh, anyway, so they're out. Uh, they're out in space. Uh, they're in. They're in Kira's cruiser. Uh, they've got the uh, the White Witch strapped to the roof of the cruiser because uh, I guess they don't have any cargo space. And R two D two and C three PO have been left to secure the vehicle uh, before they make the jump to hyperspace. 
And while they're doing this, they get attacked by uh, by what's left of the From Gang, which uh, we saw in the previous episode was pretty much destroyed along with the Trigon One. Uh, so it's all down to Vlix, the tough guy, uh, Size From, the ancient leader of the gang, uh, and his son Tig From, who's at the helm. And I like that it's clearly it's the Imperial Shuttle, same type of vehicle that we saw in Return of the Jedi, except it's got all these nice little bits of damage on it, and they keep making reference to the fact that the vehicle is a, a burnt-out old rust bucket. Yeah, we'd be remiss if we failed to mention the um, something in this actually influenced something in Star Wars The Phantom Menace. The Oh, yes! The, uh, the Bantu Classic. Or the Bunta right. Classic. The Bunta Classic, but in this one it's called the Bunta, this one happens to be Bunta Speeder Race, and they call it Bunta Classic. But that they use the same name, I, I think, is um, might be a hint that uh, this droids cartoon was close to George Lucas's heart. Yeah, and and, and it something wouldn't be he was the, really really cared about. And it wouldn't be the only connection to to other uh, to other uh, works in the Star Wars universe. But we'll get into that uh, as they as they happen. So. So yeah, so the Fromm gang opens fire on Kira's cruiser. Uh, there's a there's a nice uh, there's a nice tussle, uh, but their hyperdrive navigation system gets burnt out, so they can't just escape. But it turns out there's an external control uh, for the hyperdrive, which I guess is just a safety feature. So R two D two plugs himself into it and activates the hyperdrive, uh, and the cruiser shoots away. So. Uh, Tig Fromm decides that he's going to pursue them, but it being an old rust bucket, when he engages their vessel's hyperdrive, it goes backwards. And I want to uh, talk about something about the quality of the uh, the animation in this episode that they do pretty well. So the the way light speed, the jump to light speed, is depicted in Star Wars is truly iconic and gorgeous and breathtaking, but it's not something that this show is capable of doing with its animation. Right. But they do the next best thing. Uh, we see several vessels make the jump to light speed in this episode, and whenever they do it, there's a really simple but really nice effect where the vehicle gets a little bit stretched out, shoots off into the into a vanishing point, but leaves these like glowing energy streaks behind them, kind of a shadow of the vessel. And whenever a vessel jumps to light speed, they do it in an really interesting angle where the perspective of, of the vanishing light trails kind of leaves you with a really kind of creates a really neat impression so I'm glad they came up with their own alternative to the jump to light speed that they can do with their limited animation that still gets the point across yeah I, I, that, that's a neat point and I do like at the beginning you see the the, the bad guys uh, Tig Fromm and company are, are licking their wounds really you know, they, yeah, I mean, they, they, the, the Trigon one, their big um, I uh, weapons call it platform. Like a, yeah, it's not like a Death Star, but it sort of is. You know, their big space fortress thing has been destroyed, and uh, they're they're not the big poobah on the block anymore. And so they want uh, they they want they, they want revenge. They want to get things done. Yeah, so they do eventually follow our heroes uh, to the planet where they're going to do the the, the Boontal race, uh, and when uh, when the gang arrives, they end up because of the damage they sustained in the fight. They do end up making a uh, cr- they do end up crashing uh, in a scrap heap, and 
this is where we, we get something that's really characterful here. So they're they're in this scrap heap, and they need somebody to repair the ship. And there's a droid that lives in and possibly runs the scrap heap called uh, called Proto One. Um, he's played by a Canadian voice actor named Long John Bradley. Long John being a nickname because he's over six feet tall, uh, hmm. and he has this great British accent. This oh hello blokes, what are you doing? Uh, but something I really like about the character is that he's a droid with a limp who uses a cane, but all the parts of his body are mismatched. Uh, and he makes this like, it's such a strange looking droid. Who, who, uh, who, who designed you? Who created you? Oh, I created myself. And his whole backstory <laughs> is that he was a droid that got thrown in the scrap heap and didn't want to deactivate. So he repaired himself and, and is quite literally now a self-made droid. I really like that bit. I always like the the uh, doddering old man sort of character, and this this one has a very fun look, as you mentioned. And C three PO initially is a real asshole to him. Like, he's very dismissive. He's like, "Oh, you're," and but, but later that resolves in a nice twist. Oh, it's very true. But you know, he likes working on big machines, so he agrees to fix the cruiser while they go to repair the White Witch and enter the race. Uh, then we see a Star Wars dive hotel. There, it's. It's wonderfully dingy and cluttered. It's, it's, again, it's a pornographic level of detail in the backgrounds of this scene. And it's where the Fromm gang is holed up. Uh, and Size Fromm says he's going to call in a favor uh, to, to take care of the racers. And this mysterious shadowy figure appears in the doorway and they start negotiating. And, you know, Size you know, spells out, I need, you to sa- I need you to sabotage this race. I need you to rub out, rub out these, these three people and their droids. Uh, and then the mysterious figure steps out of the shadow, and it's Boba Fett. And not just that, but you're also they, they're talking about how a job of the hut has a price on the Froms is out looking for him, and uh, yeah, and and that uh, Boba Fett owes size from a favor, which is why yeah. he's not turning them in and is willing to do this uh, do this assassination plot for them pro bono. Right, and uh, I think I mentioned this before, but the. The Novana team that does this cartoon were the same ones that did the animated segment for the Star Wars Holiday Special from 1978. Which and, was the first on-screen appearance of Boba Fett. Yeah, and he looks the same here. You know, the color scheme is different than in the movie, but um, it's the same, you know, it's the same uh, look with the, that sort of T-shape in the helmet and, and all the cool kind of James Bond gadgets and the, on his belt and everything. And it, it's just really, um, I, I was not, not surprised, but quite pleased that we get a pretty direct connection to the films. And I say that understand, understanding Star Wars droids is its own thing. But this almost feels like, no, the ratings are doing bad. We really got to bring them in with, <laughs> with the Star Wars <laughs> thing. We, but, yeah, your friend Boba's back, and they mentioned Jabba a few times. I was really hoping to see Jabba the Hutt like, in this style, but we don't get to see him, unfortunately. Yeah. We just well, talk about him. Well, I guess we, we need to talk about Boba Fett, because Bo- Boba Fett has, has, I'll just say, an interesting position in the Star Wars legacy. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. Because because you know as as he appears in in Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back, he is a moderately competent bounty hunter who seems to have a penchant for excessive force, makes a lot of mistakes, but has a low cunning 
that allows him to make a lot of money for a very little effort. I mean, keep in mind, he's not the one who captures Han Solo. He just tracks Han Solo. He gets the Empire to do the work for him. Well, and um, Boba Fett's character design was done by Joe Johnston, uh, who was a concept artist on um, some of the Star Wars movies, and he later became a director and directed such movies as um, Captain America, The First Avenger, The Rocketeer, oh, um, yes. Jurassic Park 3, uh, you know, all kinds of genre stuff. So that he designed one of the most beloved Star Wars characters is, uh, I think, quite interesting because most it's people only assume the look of the characters as related to Ralph McQuarrie. And, and, um, and sometimes Sid Mead. Uh, right, and, and that's not entirely the case. Uh, but, uh, as, as we see in Return of the Jedi, Boba Fett is dispatched almost by accident. He, he takes collateral damage from a lightsaber, his rocket yeah. pack is out of control, and he falls into the Sarlacc, and presumably died. Uh, but, you know, you can't keep a good character down, so in the old expanded universe, it's revealed that he escaped from the Sarlacc pit, and from that point on, Boba Fett effectively became the Batman of the Star Wars universe. From that <laughs> point, e- even though... In the movies, he's kind of a bumbler who gets by on low cunning. Outside of the movies, he is a hyper-competent gadgeteer who always gets his man and is just a sexy stone badass all the time. Not just that, but um, I haven't read a lot of the comics, but at least in the old novel Expanded Universe stuff, (laughs) Boba Fett ends up training one of Han Solo and Leia's kids to become a better fighter. Oh, dear. Which is as... Groan-inducing as it sounds. In my well, I guess if the price is right, he'll do anything. But uh, so the Boba Fett, the Boba Fett we see in, in in droids is more closer to the original Boba Fett. Correct, he's got yeah. he's got low cunning, but he he's not Batman. Uh, and and I guess this is this is kind of one of those frustrating things. I I I prefer a Boba Fett with foibles. Right, he's not an invincible. Um, Super assassin. The super assassin, because like, what's fun? It's like playing a video game on God mode or something, where no one can hurt you. It's it becomes boring pretty quickly. Because and, and make no mistake, I really liked those Dark Horse Boba Fett comics that I talked about in our previous yeah, episode. Yeah, sure. But that is my least favorite interpretation of the character, and it has by far been the dominant interpretation of the character throughout throughout its life. And and I have to I have to wonder exactly why Boba Fett is used in this episode. Is it because the writers just thought it would be fun? Or does this tie into what used to be George Lucas's plans for the greater Star Wars universe? Are you aware of the, the whole Boba Fett thing? Uh, I, I don't think so. What I do recall is when George Lucas was in charge of all this, his, his personal theory was that there's three kinds of Star Wars canon. There's the movie canon, there's the canon from, you know, the books and the, the comic books and whatever and the video games, and then there's the canon of the fans in which they make their own decision, their own interpretation. And that, and that's fair. Um, but uh, specifically what I'm talking about is that, and this supposedly, this is kind of pieced together from a couple of different sources, but supposedly um, in the 80s when George Lucas was still planning on going into another trilogy pretty quickly, it, it is my understanding that the original plan for the trilogy that would happen after Return of the Jedi 
would still focus on Luke Skywalker, but the, the original plan was the villains were going to be the Mandalorians. And that's why, in part, why Boba Fett got so much screen time in Return of the Jedi, despite the fact that he doesn't do a goddamn thing in that movie, is because George Lucas kind of wanted to cement the idea of the Mandalorians in people's minds so that people would care when the Mandalorian showed up as the big threat in, in the second trilogy. Now, none of this I, happened, but that was right. the plan. I, I, you know, I, I've never heard of that, but it, it doesn't surprise me. I, I do know on the Star Wars Clone Wars uh, animated series, there's a some pretty notable story arcs with the Mandalorians, and um, also, of course, you get the the folk, you get the sort of origin story with all the Jango Fett stuff in um, Oh yeah, uh, Attack of the Clones, but. So, so right. back to this, back to this yes. episode though. So, um, so Kira, Kira, C three P and R two D two take the White Witch to this garage and uh, start uh, and start repairing, uh, start repairing on it. While Cal goes to visit uh, to visit his uh, friend mechanic in the recovery bay, who's dealing with an on on model Star Wars medical droid. I have to say because he broke his arm in the crash. Um, but while this is going on, so we mentioned that C three P O snubs Proto One. C-3PO meets a droid that he becomes fast friends with. Uh, this droid named B-17, or BL-17. Uh, and he's he's kind of like R2-D2. He's, he's a bit British. He's a bit, uh, a bit snooty. Uh, and he's very well designed. Uh, we learn, we do learn that this droid is owned by Boba Fett and is doing his dirty work. He's Boba Fett's yeah. inside man. But one thing I do like is it's pretty clear he's Boba Fett's droid because there's lots of Boba Fett iconography hidden on the design. I mean, most obviously, B uh, BL-17's chest plate looks like Boba Fett's helmet. I didn't notice that, but looking at it now, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's really quite something. Um, but but he shows them the machine shop where they can repair the witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when he and C three PO leave, and they and C three PO is talking about, oh, we have such sparkling conversation. Uh, when they when they leave, you know, there's sinister music as we see that B seventeen is holding this gadget uh, and then punches the access panel to the garage, sealing all the doors. This is a directing thing that I really really like. Because in the establishing shot of the machine shop, where we see Kira working under the under the uh, under the White Witch, there's this great pan over, and in the foreground of the pan are these four gas canisters. The gadget he's holding is the v- control valve for one of those canisters. So when we come back to the inside of the machine shop, we get the same exact pan, except the control valve is missing and the canister is leaking gas. It's a really nice flourish. That's a good catch. Well, what an excellent, uh, you know, concept of continuity. I mean, that, that's that's very unusual for cartoons of this era. I know I say that over and over again, but I cannot stress enough the fine attention to detail on Star Wars droids compared to other animated series at the time. Yeah, watch other animated series at the time. None of them hold up except perhaps Muppet Babies. And even then, uh, it's pretty dated. The one I loved as a kid, and then it was briefly on Netflix, and, and unfortunately now the DVDs have skyrocketed, was Captain N, the Game Master. <laughs> a um, ridiculous commercial of a show uh, about a boy gets sucked into his Nintendo, and then you go to different video game worlds. And it lasted, With the most uh, off-model Simon Belmont you've ever seen. Because they I didn't like have the Simon likeness Belmont. rights to any of the characters! 
No, I actually like that Simon Belmont, because he is, like, um... I don't know if he's supposed to be gay, but he's certainly, like, extremely vain and a bit of a dandy and, uh... uh... He, he's also sort of a square-jawed 1930s pulp yeah, adventurer. I, I, I like that look. I, I, I take more offense to Captain N's approach of Mega Man, who is is green, which, okay, it's a different color, but then he, he, he talks like he has a smoker's cough. And he says Mega Mega a lot. Mega Mega a lot, uh... And not, uh, also Kid Icarus <laughs> says Icus after the end of almost every line of dialogue, which is, a- anyway, it's not a good cartoon is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, um, don't watch uh, it, please. Uh, yes. Um, another 80s cartoon I think that kind of holds up, um, G.I. Joe and Transformers have, have their moments. Uh, the real Ghostbusters, I think, it has some quite good writing. And, that holds up better. Of course, that's also late 80s. Uh, yes, and, um... Oh, what? I thought there was something else. Um, Count Decula is fitfully amusing. Well, that, that's because it's it's written by, you know, British radio comedy people. Okay, sure. <laughs> so I they don't need animation. They can just get by on dialogue and character voices. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. Back to Star Wars Droids, episode yeah. four, so, a race to the finish. Um, yeah, so so Kira Kira is, you know, caught. She, she's choking on the gas leak. R2-D2 is able to reprogram a load lifter that, that knocks down uh, the, the, the entrance to the machine shop. But what's great is that after Boba Fett's dispatched by size from, Tig decides that to get back in, in size good graces, he and Vlix have to be the ones to take care of the racers. So he convinces he convinces Vlix to help him out by saying, well, we'll get money, you can get a new wardrobe, because he's been fussing with his, his ascot the whole time. Yeah. Or is it, a, is it an ascot or a cravat? I guess it's a cravat is what he wears, not a tie. Uh, uh, and said, and you can cr- call me Tiggy, I'll stop complaining when you call me Tiggy. So he's all for it. Um, so it just so happens that this is happening just as they're approaching the machine shop, and so they get run over uh, by the collapsing by the uh, collapsing uh, garage door. <laughs> There's an interesting bit of animation uh, in the midst of all this, where R two D two appears to be sort of like warning C three PO that BL seven, excuse me, that BL seventeen is like up to no good, and C three PO is like defending BL seventeen to the hilt. And, and C three PO like his um. He's pretty off-model in this series sometimes, but, like, he starts wibbling and wobbling and tries to, like, you know, he almost looks like he's, like, cowering in shame. It's yeah. a it's a nice little beat for a character that, you know, doesn't talk English. Well, it's so weird because, like, it, it really it really bothers me when they make R2-D2 bend in the middle. Not, <laughs> not because he can't do that, but because it looks so forced and unnatural. Yes, yeah. Like, he really should stay blocky. If they're going to have his body do anything weird... I feel like it's best when it's limited to, like, the top of his head popping off and, and things like that. Well, it reminds me of this kind of the genius of the Transformers, right? In that when characters speak, they don't you don't have to animate the mouths moving. You just, like, have a few lights light up. Not often, yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's interesting in that in the very first episode of the series, you know, they make a huge deal of the Boonter race. We don't get to it until this fourth episode, the last episode in the arc. But on top of that, the actual race doesn't happen until fairly late in the episode. That really surprised me. It's late in the third act, yeah. (laughs) Jesus, yeah, you're right. But, uh, so anyway, so they decide that they're going to have to take the White Witch to a safe place. 
And uh, BL seventeen's given uh, Art C three PO a hot tip of a safe place uh, where it can be stowed, and it's of course like a, a scrap processing yard, which should yeah. be suspicious. Uh, but once they get there, you know, C three PO is still talking about how great it is to have a sophisticated friend like BL seventeen. That's when BL seventeen pulls out a laser and reveals that he's going to kill everybody. Um, then Proto one shows up. There's a scuffle. Boba Fett shows up. There's an even bigger scuffle. Uh, but the short version is Boba Fett uh, is... I'm sorry, uh, but the short version is uh, they are able to attach... Uh, a, a, a TIG is able to attach a thermal detonator to the White Witch during while this is all going on. Right, and there, there's a classic concept in um, story writing and in structure where you say, you know, you, you set off the bomb and it, it creates... Uh, Set off the bomb in Act One, and then it blows up in Act Three. Right, you're, you're setting up some tension there. And well, I think that's well you're nice talking about Chekhov's gun. Uh, yes, very. Yeah, sorry. Yep, that's correct. Um, and, and that's a nice moment. Now, the the actual track that they race on, uh, Thal has to pilot the witch because Jordan is injured. I, I was surprised the track was not like a standard race track because you look at that track in the Phantom Menace on. Uh, oh God, I don't remember tattooing. Like oh yeah, failing me. Um, We're like it's like it starts in like a Roman style uh, coliseum, but then yeah. it kind of like veers off onto this track in the Badlands. It veers off to a track in the Badlands with all sorts of rocks and uh, pits and things. But it, it is like like a traditional race where it's like you're doing the same uh, lap each time. But this uh, track on the planet Bunta in this episode is a stack of white. Tubes that just like spiral uh, on top of each other. Well, it, it, yeah, it is a track. It's encased in a, a transparent tube, but yeah, a big part of the design is that, like, the left, for lack of a better term, the left side of the track are these ascending spirals. So, you know, I guess I guess what it is is that because of the spirals, I'm sure that creates a navigational and driving hazard you have to negotiate. But beyond that, it means you can have many, 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 many kilometers of racetrack confined to a small arena where everybody can watch it. Yeah, and presumably, you know, it has a lot of more sharper turns because you're, it's a, it's not a, um, I don't know, like a straightaway. Five, it's not a straightaway. It's not a five mile rotation in each of the the curly cue things of the thing of the um of the track like i, I was just struck at how unusual it looked and i, and I kind of like that but uh, i, I like expecting and so, so yeah it, it is very sci-fi it's what it's like it's very sci-fi it feels very star wars but unfortunately i know we've said a lot of good things about the animation i do need to say something bad the animation is not up to this race there's not a sense of speed and inside of the uh, the white tubes, it just looks bland. Like, it's not interesting to look at. It's just sort of concentric circles. So there's a sense yeah. of space, but there's not much of a sense of motion. So a lot of times, it kind of comes off just as static as the wacky races, despite their, their best efforts. Um, but the White Witch does get in right at the starting gun. But then there's a, wait, it's a last-minute entry! It's Boba Fett on his silver speeder! Which, I guess no one's going to tell Boba Fett he can't enter the race. <laughs> I, so, I, I'd like to think that there's a, a cut scene where Boba Fett pays off the management of the Boonter race. <laughs> yeah, what is it going to take? Come on, I'm in a hurry. What's it going to take? I, I'm going to... Boba, he really can't let you uh, uh, get on the track here. 
But yeah. So so and, and and no one seems to object to all the violence he's causing as he's trying as he's using every gadget at his disposal to to take down the white witch. There's a lot of back and forth. Um but and while this is going on, uh Tig and Size from are watching the race from someone's private booth. They've kidnapped the couple <laughs> that has the private booth and have them tied up uh in their chairs. Although I gotta say that couple is pretty accommodating because they're not gagged, but they never say anything. They're they're just entranced with the race. They want to see oh, what's but so, something something about this race I do want to point out. So there's a scene. So when the Fromm gang is kind of surveying the scene, you know, size is there, and he's like, and and he's look in the private booth. Uh, it's it's Admiral Screed. Everyone's here but the Emperor himself, and they just point out to this this kind of stodgy looking Imperial officer. I've got to congratulate them for laying pipe. Admiral Screed shows up later and becomes an antagonist in this series for several episodes. I, I had no idea. This is really a first-time watch for me, so that's that's fascinating. That, that's, yeah, there's no indication yeah. that we're going to see him again, but like groundwork has now been laid for later in the series, which again but, is something yeah. you never see in a, a show from this era. But now that they made the point about why isn't the Emperor here, it does make me wonder, back to Phantom Menace, was the Senator... Watching the race from a, a television in his uh, office. You know, I like to be, uh, I like to believe that that is the case. So I'm going to say think, yes. Do you think it was him as Darth Sidious um, in his cloak with Darth Maul, like yeah. looking? Look, when I'm on the clock, I'm Senator Palpatine. But this is my this is my me time. So it's Sidious all the way. My better home theater is in my dark side room. Come, Darth Maul. Yeah, it's... <laughs> but but yeah. <laughs> so um, so anyway, uh, you know, at one point, Boba Fett damages the engine of the White Witch with a laser blast. Uh, R two sprays it with a flame retardant foam, which causes which which causes the thermal detonator to slip loose, falls off the witch, falls onto the silver speeder. Um, so I don't know how they did this, but the thermal detonator set to go off uh, at the end of the tenth lap, which is presumably the final lap. So the White Witch comes out; it's the winner. Boba Fett flies out on his rocket pack, and then the Boba Fett speeder comes out and just blows up. Uh, and so after this, something else that I really like about this episode is that our heroes don't defeat the Fromm Gang. Boba Fett does. So the Fromm Gang's looking to make good their escape, and then Boba Fett comes in captures them all as like you cost me my reputation and my speeder i'm turning you into jabba for the money it is a lovely grace note so the villains are defeated by a different villain yeah it's uh, i I like that very much too it was good i wish the explosion of the silver speeder would have been more intense it is just a cloud of gray smoke yeah although before the explosion, there is this neat effect where these like vertical and horizontal lines like spread over the speeder. It's re- it's really quick, and I'm not, and it may even be a mistake, but it looks neat and science fictional. So, uh, so I'll enjoy that. So you know, having uh, won the race uh, in, in a nice bit of business that reminds me actually of a subplot in more American graffiti. <laughs> they get approached. <laughs> And offered like gigs working for this big um, 
uh, uh, race speeder manufacturer. Yeah, this this uh, alien named uh, Zebulon Dak, the owner of the Zebulon Dak Speeder Works, uh, shows up and is so impressed by their vehicle. Yeah, he offers them all a job designing and building speeders for him. Presumably, it is pretty uh, pretty uh, well paying. And I will I will point out like I love that this is a happy ending where like the characters kind of get to live a dream. Which I guess this is now Kira's dream since she's become such a good speeder mechanic. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the fact that she's part of the Rebel Alliance does not factor into anything that happens from this point on. But um, uh, I, I do have to point out, though, for, for a guy who's supposed to be a speeder magnate, uh, Zebulon does float around in a really, really rickety uh, hover booth that keeps smoking and jittering. <laughs> I'd like to think he's uh, he's very frugal. You know, he knows that if you a penny saved is a penny earned, and by driving kind of a beater of a speeder, he can uh, save his credits uh, elsewhere. Yeah, it all it all goes into the goes into the factory. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So the episode ends with uh, everybody back on uh, Kira's cruiser. They're they're getting ready to head to uh, whatever planet. Uh, that Dak's uh, factory and uh, is on, uh, but they're talking and they're talking about well, can can R2D2 C3PO come? It's like, well, I guess they really can't. they can't. It's company policy; they'll have to have their minds wiped so they won't really be R2D2 and C3PO anymore. Which is a good point. I'm glad that this show raises about about the way droids work. Um, so they decide. Oh well, then. We just won't go. Like they're 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 our friends now. We're not going to let this happen to them. I can only presume that this whole droid mind wipe thing is like a company policy, so that droids aren't used to like steal company secrets. Not only that, I imagine when the, you know they would finish their contract with the Zibulon Speeder Corporation, or perhaps on an annual basis, they would just do mind wipes of the droids anyway. Yeah, of course. For all we know, maybe Dak doesn't like droids. Maybe it's just like that's. Maybe it's a, uh, a prejudice policy. But R two D two and C three PO overhear this, so they decide. Well, we can't have these these people. They're our friends. We can't have them give up a better life for us. So they pull a Casablanca. They sneak into an escape capsule right before the jump to light speed and eject themselves so that they won't be baggage holding back these other characters. So the other characters go off to their better lives and better careers, and it ends with R2-D2 and C-3PO in this cramped escape pod drifting drifting through space, and it ends on this kind of sort of philosophical, well, we may be out here with a whole lot of nothing, but we do have something, friend. I find it kind of bittersweet. I don't know. It's a melancholy ending. Yeah. It's, uh... And I think it's, it's a... It was better writing than I was expecting. Like, I was wondering how they were going to get the next set of um, masters, and uh, we'll have to see <laughs> next episode. But it's a really solid ending, and I, I uh, this is by far my favorite episode of the show to date. Um, I, I would like to mention that in know, around 2005, uh, Lucasfilm released a, a DVD containing episodes of the droid series re-edited to be two movies and it covers the second and the third story arc they never did one for this first story arc of the first four episodes interesting but they also in that person they also changed the music they added additional voiceover like it was quite um 
this might be how my mind works, but I'm still kicking myself for not picking those up when I could have back at the time because they're worth a lot now. Yeah, I'm, I feel I feel much the same way. I, w- I would really love it if like a nice prestige version of this was on DVD. <laughs> you know, maybe that that can be a bonus episode where we'll just like brainstorm what would our ideal DVD setup be. <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. Um, that's a good idea. I might try to reach out to some Lucasfilm people and see if I can get someone on the show. I'm curious. Pretty cool. These, this is just like um, this is just money on the table. This is money in the banana stand. Like Star Wars <laughs> fans will buy anything, and I, I think this has an audience. Even if it's a print-on-demand DVD, um, you, you know, I think it could do okay. Yeah, I could, I could go for that. Oh, so uh, uh, before before we uh, wrap up this part of the show, something I did want to talk about, maybe we should consider making this an official segment, but every episode of Dwar- Droids so far, we've seen a, a Star Wars vehicle from the movie animated in this series. And in this episode, we got two. Uh, we have the Tiderian-class shuttle, which we mentioned at the beginning, but in the race, one of the speeders is Owen and Beru's speeder from episode four. I didn't catch that. That's a pretty deep cut. Well, it, it is a deep cut, because if you remember, when we see their garage uh, in, in Star Wars, we see Luke's speeder, which gets used a lot in the movie, but parked in the garage is this more angular green and white speeder. Hmm. That speeder is in the race, or at least that model of speeder. So I, I was tickled by that. Well, for now, for... Uh... We're going to do Droid Eye for the Jedi. Ah, yes. When we look at this episode and try to figure out which character was the secret Jedi Master. Do you have a theory? I, I do. I think it is Proto-1. Really? Because that he has the gumption to uh, make himself, uh, to kind of build himself out of spare parts after he was disposed of. I think that's more intuition than droids would normally have. And he probably had a had a Jedi sixth sense of where to find just the right compatible parts that would work, D- despite his lack of midichlorians. Uh, it, it, it's my theory, and it's a controversial one at that. That um, certain droid manufacturers tried to manufacture a synthesized form of midichlorians to interact with the Force. Interesting, and I guess he could have made those from recycled material. Yes, the synthesized uh, midichlorians are from uh, or retro programmed from uh, de- departed Jedi blood. So, so a few Jedi died in some of those vehicles that are in his scrapyard. That's right, and, and by by uh, analyzing and processing uh, bone and blood and skin matter, somehow midichlorians come out of that. <laughs> They're just they're in some chamber inside of him. Well, uh, I that is an excellent theory, some excellent uh, evidence. But I am going to have to completely disagree with you. Okay, I believe that the secret Jedi Master is Zebulon Dak. So, mm. uh, mysterious figure yes. uh, interferes with the destiny of uh, the main characters on a desert planet, mind you. Good point. Uh, travels around by floating. Hmm. You know, as we pointed out, you know, he says 
he's the owner of a of a company that makes vehicles, and yet his own vehicle is a piece of crap. I think that's a lie. I think that's a cover story. He is an undercover Jedi, and he is looking for three apprentices. That is why he recruits a hotshot pilot, a mechanic, and a member of the Rebel Alliance. They're not going to his factory. They're going to an isolated planet where he can train them up. Well, what do you think he does, like, if one of them can't hack it? Does he murder them so they don't know his secret? Um, I will presume he would use the Force to erase their memory and then just drop them off on a nearby world. I don't think he's that cruel. I don't think he, I don't think he's a Sith. I think he's a straight up Jedi. Well, those are uh, those are two very compelling theories. I'm not sure what to but think only, about that one. But only one of them is canonical. Of course. Uh, tune tune in for our final episode where we find out who is the real Jedi. Yeah. Um, all right. So. Oh, and the V thirty five courier. That's the land speeder that Owen and Baru Lars had. Very good. For all you vehicle wonks out there. All right, now it's time for Expanded Universe. Yeah, I've uh, been on a jag of playing old Star Wars video games for this segment, and I tried one that was a... Uh, a if it wasn't a launch title, it was damn near it for the Nintendo 64, Star Wars Shadow of the Empire. Ooh, yeah. And so this was... I played the PC port of this, and... Um, it, it's not very good. I think it's ambitious in what it tried to do. You had, the, the for listeners that don't know, Shadow of the Empire was a, in the old uh, canon, well, I think they call it Star Wars Legends, right? Where mm-hmm. they tried to do a multimedia event for something that wasn't a movie, but they treated it as such. It had its own soundtrack release. It had a video game. It had a comic. It had a novel. And each one covered different aspects of the same story. And I believe for for a for a brief period there was serious talk about making this the next movie, it, but it would just be a standalone movie about the Dash Rengar character. Uh, yeah, as I understand, George Lucas was pretty enthralled with the this, the outline of this story and was very impressed. Um, it's the only Star Wars novel written by Steve Perry, who, who has done a lot of other uh, tie-in novels for other universes like Aliens and stuff like that. And it's really, um, it's really quite, it was quite ambitious and, and weird, and they, they really haven't done anything to that level since. And in some ways, they were testing the water to see, oh, gee, are people uh, still interested in Star Wars? And, be, and partially because of the success, that's what inspired them to do the special editions. Yeah, and the audience was still hungry for it. Uh, yeah, and, and the prequels, as we saw, yeah. So, um, the, and so anyhow... In this game, uh, it's set, just like the book and everything else, it's set between Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and Star Wars Episode Five: Empire Strikes Back. Um, and because of that, uh, you don't have a Han Solo, so this book uh, invents a Han Solo knockoff called Dash Rundar, which is an appropriate Star wars name. And the first level I was not able to even get past, but it, it's the, uh, you're stuck in the middle of the Hoth um, assault on the Rebel base from Empire Strikes Back. And then, the, most of the rest of the game, you're not in a spaceship. It's a sort of clunky third-person um, shooter with some exploration elements. And unfortunately, because it was Nintendo 64, um, in, in that sort of era, like early PlayStation stuff, they hadn't quite nailed down how to do a... What would you call it? How to do like an action-adventure game 
uh, in, in 3D. a third-person perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as I, as I recall, at least upon its initial release, it was exclusive to the Nintendo 64. It was yep. a launch title, and it is for that reason that a Stormtrooper was on the box of the Nintendo 64. Oh my god, you're right. Um, yeah, this eventually got a later PC port, which supported some better resolutions. Um, also, you had such... Uh, what am I trying to say? Boba Fett is in this game. Uh-huh. as a boss, and you're trying to hunt him down. This game has a lot of painful platforming in the uh, in kind of confusing kind of maze-like levels. Um, I, I can't really recommend it, but it's an interesting part of Star Wars history, and I recall the, uh, the novel at least being pretty entertaining and an easy read, um, even though the villain, Prince Shizor, is this green humanoid alien that can uh, at will excrete pheromones to um, seduce people. Oh, yeah, he's a crime boss who has ties to the Empire, isn't he? Yes, and uh, a big amusing part of the book is the Emperor is doing dealings with Prince Shizor, and that makes Darth Vader kind of jealous, feeling like a jilted wife. Uh, (laughs) And and there's some stuff going on. And I believe believe it does, this does have sort of, this still did affect Star Wars outside of the book. As I recall, there is a crime syndicate in the Clone Wars that is pretty much Prince Shizor's crime syndicate, although Shizor is never mentioned. We just get a bunch yeah, of green aliens that look and act just like him. Well, and it's called the Black Sun, and you're right, it's shown up in some of their expanded universe things. Uh, oh, well, yeah, in fact, the Black Sun is in uh, Solo. Uh, the Solo movie. Yeah, correct. Uh, also, there is, um, in the special edition of Star Wars, as the Millennium Falcon is leaving Tatooine, one of the ships seen taking off is Dash Rendar's ship. Oh, that's right. I remember. I remember really have seeing to that. Pay attention to notice that. That's a really kind of annoying retcon. But there you go. And you have to to know the Outrunner's profile. It was the Outrunner, right? Uh, that that sounds right. I can't recall. Um, Dash Rendar also had a droid, uh, and and the character of Dash Rendar itself, I think, was pretty terrible. Like. It, it was just a Han Solo knockoff, and didn't really try to be more than that. Oh, the but Outrider. That was the name Outrider, of his, uh, of his starship. Yep. So, um, but yeah, but, but if, especially if you bought Nintendo 64 at launch, it, it was pretty likely if you went to your friend's house with an N64, they'd have this game. Like, this was a huge uh, hit, huge bestseller. <laughs> and um, all that sort of stuff. So, uh if you find it on sale, maybe check it out, but this isn't one of my favorites. Alright, so what I what I experienced is something very, very near and dear uh, to my heart. Uh, I watched The Muppet Show with their very special guest, Mark Hamill, and the stars of Star Wars! Yay! C-3PO is in it, I recall. Yes, it's an episode of The Muppet Show featuring Mark Hamill, C-3PO, R2-D2, Chewbacca the Wookiee, and Luke Skywalker. That's, uh, I imagine they must do a pigs in space sketch. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, because yeah. the thing is, like, it's it's pretty much standard Muppet Show stuff, except as when they have Star Wars intrude on it. Because, like, a, a running gag is that Chewbacca the Wookiee's been kidnapped by the Empire, and so Luke Skywalker, R2-D2, and C-3PO are searching the Muppet Studios because they got a tip that that might be where Chewbacca's being held, but Mark Hamill is still the host. And in the first half of the episode... There's this running gag where one of them will leave the room and the other one will come in. 
Oh, but sure. Then, yeah. But then in the climax of the episode, Luke Skywalker and Mark Hamill are on screen at the same time, and it's not a bad effect. Does uh, Mark Hamill, or Luke Skywalker for that matter, perform a musical number? Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, uh, he does. He does two. Well, so the episode ends with all the characters singing "When You Wish Upon a Star," uh, but early on. There, there's a joke that Mark Hamill is replacing their original guest star, uh, Angus McGonagall, the gargling gargoyle, who's just this hideous Scotsman Muppet uh, with this articulated tongue that gargles Gershwin's. So there's this bit where McGonagall gets on stage and starts gargling Gershwin, and Mark Hamill, looking like a scamp, sneaks up behind him and starts gargling along with him. <laughs> And the thing is, like, Mark Hamill's really game. He shows off some comedy chops. Yeah. Uh, you can also see the fact that he is going to go on to become a legendary voice actor, because when they're asking Mark Hamill what his talents are, he's like, well, I can do impressions, and he starts impersonating Kermit and, and Fozzie, and he does a really good impression, but everyone's response is, well, that's good, but who are you doing? But then whenever Luke yeah. Skywalker shows up, everyone's so impressed with Luke Skywalker. Wow, Luke Skywalker, he's great. I'd love to know who his tailor is. That's a great outfit. And he's wearing his the outfit that he wears uh, on Bespin in uh, in Return of the... Or, sorry, in uh, Empire Strikes Back. And in fact, I think this was filmed during the filming of Empire Strikes Back, uh, back when they, when they were in Pinewood Studios in Britain. That makes sense. Also, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back is when... Uh, Star Wars started their lawn association with the Jim Henson Company. And Frank Oz, yeah. And, and Frank Oz and all that. And uh, and it is, it is the return of the Jedi version of the Chewbacca suit. Uh, that's that's pretty apparent. Was it Peter Mayhew and Anthony Daniels? Uh, yes. They yes, really, they got all the real people. That's uh, that's really quite something. Also, you Kenny have, Baker uh, is uh, R2. Really? Huh. Okay. But yeah, it ends with a Pigs in Space sketch with the villain uh, Darth Nadir, who is Gonzo in a Darth Vader outfit. I think I've seen that segment from this. Um, but, I mean, it's fun. If you like Star Wars, yeah. if you like the Muppets, there's a lot to enjoy. Um, I just... just but it, it is it is broad comedy. It, it is it is vaudeville. It's not like it's not strictly sophisticated or subversive, but it's fun. It's a show with a lot of love to give, and it just keeps on giving it. Well, and that's part of the appeal of the Muppets is you get some behind the stuff scene stuff in the show itself that's kind of meta, really ahead of its time, where the Muppets are always scrambling to put in a show, and they know their show isn't very good. Like they kind of there's a lot of flaws and stuff and a lot of character to it um unfortunately in the united states at least only the first three seasons of the muppet show were released on dvd uh seasons four and five never came out due to low sales um huh, that sucks and also when it came out on dvd they had to cut some segments for right reasons for rights reasons oh yeah because they, they did use a lot of uh, a lot of uh, pre-written music and i'm sure that does uh, affect things sure. And not just music, but also, um, and I think it's part of the reason the show is more expensive to put out on DVD, they have to go to the estate of every one of those guest stars and negotiate something, because video rights weren't really something at the time in the 70s. Though, I will say, if you want to see uh, C-3PO tap dance, and tap dance well, uh, you this is the episode of The Muppet Show you want to see. And also, I presume it is canon. Well, of course, I think, uh, yeah, I do, it, it, now you're getting the wheels spinning in my head, I do really wonder, 
how much Mark Hamill is going to be in Star Wars Episode Nine. I don't know. I, pre- I, I presume he'll come back as a ghost unless yes. they want to subvert expectations, in which case he'll come back as a pre-recorded message. Or they double yeah. want to subvert expectations and he comes back as a clone or quadruple and he comes back as a long-lost twin brother. So maybe maybe Luke and Leia were actually part of triplets. I mean, that movie has a lot of story ends to wrap up. I'll be very baffled how they do it. Um, I have my theories, but I don't think it's going to wrap them up. They have to keep making movies, and they're going to keep going forward, so I suspect a lot of things are going to be left unresolved. Uh, uh, And anyhow, I am quite interested for Billy D. Williams coming back as Lando. About damn time. Yeah, he was. He complained in the press publicly, like when he wasn't in the other ones. Well, as I recall, when they showed the cast back together for the table read of uh, the Force Awakens, he's in that picture. What? Which suggests, which suggests that they had a scene for him, and I guess it just got cut or something. Or maybe that, or maybe that was taken before the table read, and he just happened to be there. I don't know. Could it, it could have been purely for publicity purposes. Yeah, all I know about Episode Nine is it takes place a few years after Last Jedi. It doesn't place, take place immediately after it. Um, mm-hmm. And how they're going to use the existing Carrie Fisher footage is—I I have no idea. That'll be odd. There, but, it's, uh, I, either way, tears will be shed. Yes, and uh, unfortunately, because Solo came out in the early in the summer, you know, it's like over an 18th month wait until Episode Nine. So, I don't mind, actually. I, I prefer well, to be hungry when I go in to see a Star Wars film. We'll be really hungry uh, for this one. And uh, just to tie back to the episode, you know, one of the standalone films was supposed to be Boba Fett. And um, for various reasons that didn't happen, but now they're doing a live-action series for Disney's upcoming streaming service called The Mandalorian. Which stars... I presume will be Boba Fett adjacent. Uh, I imagine so. Nick Nolte is one of the actors in it. Um, Good and God. And they, they've also announced a, another live-action series based on one of the characters from Star Wars Rogue One, which I think is kind of disappointing. I, I, you have such a big universe to to play with out there. Why not do a Knights of the Old Republic set thing? Why not, Why make it so close to the movies? Well, go yeah, go nuts. Uh, yeah, exactly. Do, do a show like Dinosaurs, but make it about the Huts. Or, or you know what? What the hell? Give us a give us a a, a droids miniseries. <laughs> Do yeah, a dark gritty reboot of droids. <laughs> it like has the really you know sort of a monochromatic, desaturated color look. They they can bring back the assassin protocol droid uh, C three PX from Dark Horse Comics for that one. Sure, and the voiceover would be, uh, you know, you see like C three PO, he's like torn in half, and his R2-D2 is kind of trembling and crying and C-3PO, the voiceover, is like, I'm afraid, R2-D2, this might be our last adventure. Goodbye, friend. I, I, I suppose you're wondering how I got my laser cannon arm. Well, let me tell you. Like, well, yeah, the whole episode is, are flashbacks. It's, a, it's an old, retired C-3PO talking to his grandchildren. Somehow. <laughs> And then the very end is like, it's getting a bit late. Shouldn't you droids fall asleep? And C-3PO's like, well, Master, don't you know, droids do not sleep. We don't require sleep. And then he winks at the camera. And, and... <laughs> he had an articulated wink installed. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, fresh, freshly installed. 
uh, in the midst of white while he's telling these stories. He gets a lot of mileage out of that wink, I'm sure. Yeah, R2-D2 has to uh, use every nut and bolt he can find to scrap the... In fact, that's one of the episodes, how C-3PO got his wink. So so why don't we work for Lucasfilm again? Because we're too talented. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, they, we're too real. Uh, I will admit, um, in, in college we had... Uh, in, in college we had... Uh, uh, Lucas Arts came oh, to yeah. give a talk, and I was trying to hit them up for a job rather pathetically. Um, but of course, it was in a really upheaval period of Lucas Arts, where they had you know almost every year they'd have a new executive, and they canceled a Sam and Max game that was completely finished. Damn, has it found its way uh, into the ether? Unfortunately not. Um, actually, I don't know if the game... All the voiceover was finished for it. I'm not sure if the... I think the game, if it wasn't finished, it was near completion. But they decided, well, the market shows this adventure kind of game won't sell well. So they just shit-canned the whole thing. Oh, that sucks. And, uh... Yeah, but, I mean... Oh, well. Huh. Um, alright. On that note... <laughs> next week, we'll be starting a new uh, story arc of Star Wars Droids. With the Lost Prince. Ah, uh, yep. New masters, new characters, new adversaries, whole new adventures. If the owners of droids are called masters, do they ever refer to droids as slaves? Uh, no, I think because they're, they're droids, which since, since we now know, thanks to the prequels, that slavery exists in Star Wars, slaves would be a different class from droids. Yeah. They still and as, would have the legal status of property. I keep on thinking of a quote George Lucas said about uh, droids in general in the Star Wars universe, where he says people view them like toasters, which is a sort of a, a, a some a sense that I do get. Though a lot of people, well, like you might have an emotional attachment to your car, or they have an emotional attachment to your droid. I'm not going to do this rant here, but I do have a whole rant about how sort of furious I am that we see less slavery during the era of the Empire than we do in any other era of the Star Wars universe. It really bothers me. <laughs> I never thought of that before. That's But there's slavery all over the prequels. There's slavery all over yes. the new yeah. trilogy. The Empire? Presumably no slavery. Uh, now someone's going to bring up the Wookiees on Keshek. That's all well and good, but we never see that in the movies. It's never even referenced in the movies. Uh, before we close this out, I'm going to look at the cover art for A Race to the Finish, the, the children's book, because I want to see if it has awkward children's book illustrations. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it does. Oh my god, I, I'll send you this link. This is this is even worse. It, it, it's like it has the evil uh, Boba Fett droid. Um, oh, it's him throwing Proto-1? Yes, throwing Proto-1. But Proto-1's legs block C-3PO's face, which seems like a poor choice. <laughs> yeah, the most iconic thing choice. on that cover. We can't even see it. <laughs> Maybe they're trying to be avant-garde. <laughs> Although I gotta I got say, BL, BL-17, he's a tough, sexy motherfucker. Look at that guy. Uh, yeah, his eyes look a little crossed, but yeah. Oh, if you zoom in, yeah, the eyes are off. But yeah, he, <laughs> he, he looks um, fit and in fine form. And the poor old droid with the cane just looks sad. <laughs> well, I, I like his, I like his his unibrow though. It's very characterful. 
course. Why wouldn't we have anything uh, anything less? Oh, what is this? Da, 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 da. Well, I guess I guess with that, it's time to wrap up. That's right. So. For In Trouble Again. Oh, and I guess we should mention our theme song is performed by the Cybertronic Spree. Of course, Check them out. The, the cover of the Dory's theme song. Check them out. Just look up Cybertronic Spree on uh, YouTube or Facebook. They got their stuff about their latest concerts uh, on there. So for In Trouble Again, uh, this is William ATST Thrasher. This is Matt Bradley Shergy. You can follow me on the Twitter at Internet Mayor. Follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. And I guess the only thing we have left to say is we may have a whole lot of nothing. But we do have one thing, friend. By the way, they did a Star Wars droids game for the Commodore 64 and the ZX Spectrum. Well, I guess we have to track that down now. Um, I've seen footage of a, a playthrough of it, but it, it looks, it says a, ra- rather uh, amusingly on the cover, it says it's a flippy flippy. Which I assume you have to flip the game over to get to the access different levels. But um, what do you think about that artwork as we close out the show? Now I'm now I'm glad I didn't stop recording. Uh, let me see here. Oh, the cover doesn't look too bad. You know, it features the characters that we've discussed in these first few episodes of the show. Yeah. Posing's yeah. a little bit awkward, but everything else looks good. Yep, you have uh, A-Wings and... Uh, Kira's Cruiser. Oh, that's, yes, good catch, that's what it is. The, uh, the From Gang's patrol ships. Yep, C-3PO is, is massaging R2-D2's dome. And look, and, and his expression seems to sit, looks like he got caught in the act. <laughs> he looks surprised and shocked. Who knows what he was doing with the... He got caught in the act oiling up R2-D2. Well, you know, they were just uh, tightening some bolts. One thing led to another. They were not just tightening bolts. They were tightening their hearts. We're, we're, we're about to enter the realm of fan fiction. We should probably rein this in. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so next week we'll be talking about the episode The Lost Prince, episode 5 of Star Wars Droids. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.